Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. It's the Indians 6, the Cincinnati Reds 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And the Indians finally got uh, their offense going against Cincinnati pitching. They finally got a win in this Ohio Cup series. And the important question we really have to ask is, what happens with the Ohio Cup, right? This very important trophy to all us Indians fans. Does it come back with Cleveland? Because is it by series? Because the Reds won the series, do they get to keep it and then bring it back up to Cleveland uh, when they come up here to face us? That these are important questions that we have to know. I, I hope that Hoynes or Mandy Bell or someone is on this uh, to let us know what is happening with the Ohio Cup, this important, important trophy for us Cleveland Indians fans. Uh, I'm clearly being sarcastic and. I'm probably assuming that it stays with the Indians until the end of the season and the, or the end of the series, you know, the home and away series, and then they get to settle up and see who gets to keep the trophy. Um, yeah, it was a good game. It was a really good game by the Indians yesterday, and of course, of course they played good because they had their ace on the mound. They had Shane Bieber on the mound. Shane Bieber, who is just setting records every single time he steps up to that rubber, toes that rubber, and uh, goes eight innings yesterday, six hits, three earned runs, two walks, but 13 strikeouts. 13 strikeouts. In eight innings, he only gave up six hard-hit balls uh, on the day, including including a home run to Tyler Naquin, Nake, Nake, or Naquin. Naquin got one. He got one off of Bieber in the eighth inning. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, so Shane Bieber is just setting records left and right. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter. I'm sure you saw it on the broadcast. But in case you didn't, in case you missed it, he set or tied multiple records yesterday. Uh, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, he became the first pitcher to record at least 10 strikeouts in each of his first four starts of a season since 1893. Wow. Uh, and then the next record, the next crazy stat is that he has a total of 48 strikeouts so far this season, which ties Nolan Ryan from the 78 season for the most strikeouts through their first four appearances of a season since at least 1906. I don't know what happened in 1906, why the person from 1906 is not included in this stat, but apparently since Nolan Ryan... Um, he is tied for the most strikeouts to start the season through four starts. So it's absolutely incredible. And how was he doing it yesterday? Yesterday, he was doing it with the breaking stuff. It was all about the breaking ball yesterday. Uh, he was using the fastball. He still threw it 38 times. He only got two whiffs on 21 swings with the fastball. He only got six called strikes. That's good for a CSW of 21% which is fine. He's using the fastball to set up everything else. Uh, he did get 10 foul balls off of that fastball. So it's not like they were squaring it up. He got 10 foul balls. In fact, uh, well, they squared up a couple. They squared up. The max exit velocity off his fastball was 109.6. That goes to Tyler Naquin and his home run in the eighth inning. But the average exit velocity off his fastball was only 88. In fact, the average exit velocity off him all day was only 
So they were not hitting him hard when they were making contact, except for Tyler Naquin. And probably Joey Votto, his his two-run double uh, that he got off of him. But it was the knuckle curve and the slider that was really working for him. He got 12 whiffs on his slider out of 19 swings. Good for a 63%. He got nine whiffs out of 16 swings on his slider. A couple of called strikes on both. It's good for a CSW of 50% on the curve and 40% on the slider. A total CSW on the day of 35% called strikes plus whiffs. That's that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible how good his breaking stuff was yesterday, and they could not lay off it. They absolutely could not lay off his stuff. Looking at the illustrator and looking at the results of his pitches, all of his strikeouts, except for one, he did go, and this was in the eighth inning. He went high fastball to Eugenio Suarez at 93 miles per hour, probably one of his hardest fastballs of the day. And he puts it on top of the zone, and Suarez had no chance of catching up to it. Everything else is down. It's at the belt or below the plate. I mean, Max Schrock swung at one that was literally in the plate. I'm guessing that's the one that got through uh, Roberto Perez's legs, which rarely happens. And uh, Schrock actually was safe at first on the strikeout. But yeah, he's got knuckle curves, knuckle curves down below the belt. He's got sliders down and away. If you look at the results page, everything was down yesterday. And that's inc- that's awesome. Awesome from Shane Bieber. And, uh, man, when it's working, when he's locked in like that and the hitters just cannot lay off, they just kept swinging over it. They just kept swinging and missing. In fact, the Indians pitchers struck out the last nine hitters of the game. Bieber strikes out the side in the seventh. Everyone thinks his day is done. He got his 10. He comes back out for the 8th. He strikes out the side again in the 8th. And then Classe comes in in the ninth, And Classe strikes out the side. And he does it on two sliders and a cutter. And his pitches were actually in the middle of the plate. Like, his pitches were in the zone. These were not chase sliders. These were sliders in the zone. And, uh, in fact, the last one to Jesse Winker just blew it by him. 100.9 miles per hour, just blew the cutter right by him. I'm telling you, right down the middle, right down the pipe. And he just gassed Jesse Winker with that pitch. So, I mean, it's absolutely incredible, the strikeout numbers, what Shane Bieber is doing. And, uh, yeah, it's, I'm setting records. He's absolutely setting records every time he takes the mound. Someone said on Twitter, like, is he the best Indians pitcher since Bob Feller. And I was digging into it. And first off, first off, I don't think you could have the conversation. None of us remember. This guy pitched in the 1900, like literally the 1900, the turn of the century. Addie Joss um, is way up there on a lot of Indians record books. So I'm guessing that Bob Feller might not even be the best Indians pitcher of all time. It might go to Addie Joss. Bob Feller leads for career war for pitchers at 65.2, but Eddie Joss comes in fourth at 47.7. However, Joss leads earned run average. His career earned run average was 1.89. Yeah, Bob Feller is not even on that career list. Bob Feller does lead in wins at 266. Uh, Mel Harder, Bob Lemon, Stan Kovaleski, early win. Eddie Joss comes in at six. 
Charlie's Nagy, actually modern day, it's Charlie Nagy at 129. He's 10th on the list. He's the only modern day pitcher on that win list. Uh, Win-loss record right now percentage, actually Shane Bieber is leading. He, As far as Cleveland Indians pitchers go on win-loss percentage, he's at 706 win-loss percentage, which leads all Indians pitching. Now, obviously, it's early in his career. Um but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that translates over time. Uh, whip walks, hits per nine innings. Eddie Joss is leading Major League Baseball or leading Cleveland Indians history, franchise history in whip at zero point nine six eight. Corey Kluber was actually second at one point zero eight six. Shane Bieber is not on this list. Shane Bieber should be second on this list. I don't know why Shane Bieber appears on one of these franchise stat categories on baseball reference, but not others. Right now, he should be tied with Corey Kluber for career whip. Uh, So I don't know why that's not populating like that. But he's got a career 3.26 ERA, and he's accumulated 10 war so far in his career. So he's got a while to go to catch Bob Feller at 65.2, or uh, he's got some work to do to get down to Addy Joss's uh, career whip. But you got to remember, there were a ton, a ton of great pitchers for the Cleveland Indians. So it's it's going to be tough to quantify uh, who is the best pitcher of all time. Ready for this one? Bob Feller leads in complete games. Franchise record for complete games at 279. Eddie Joss is second at 234. However, Eddie Joss leads for career shutouts at 45. Bob Feller is second at 44. So yeah, I don't know the history of Eddie Joss that well. He's born in 1880. He pitched in the 1902 through 1910 seasons. He did all that in nine seasons, by the way. And uh, he died at the age of 31 uh, in 1911. So who knows what his career uh, would have been uh, if he would have kept playing or something like that. Man, that's crazy. Well, he died from tuberculosis in April 1911. Man, okay, we have we have gotten way off topic, but... Uh, man, maybe during an off-season sometime, we're going to have to do a deep dive into like early turn-of-the-century Indians baseball players that are leading some of these lists so that we know who some of these players are. We know their history. So yeah, so is Shane Bieber the best Indians pitcher of all time? I think you're going to be able to start making a case. Like he's, he's only been here for three seasons. One of those seasons was cut in third, but... Uh, yeah, you, you might be able to start making that argument. And I was thinking about this. If we went back to, let's say, the end of last season, right? If we went back to November of 2020 and we still had Francisco Lindor on the team, and I was to tell you that the Indians were going to trade Francisco Lindor, but then we're going to be able, that allowed them to sign Shane Bieber to a 10-year, 13-year, something like that contract. Would you have taken it back in November? Would you have signed up for that back in November? Uh, he's 25 right now. All right, so a 10-year contract. Gets him through his age 35 season. Now, I, we have no clue if the Dolans are even considering that because they've been cheap, cheap owners for a long time. But 
if there was anybody that you wanted to make your franchise player, don't you think it would be Shane Bieber? Don't you think an ace pitcher like this? I mean, you think the Detroit Tigers feel good that they let Justin Verlander get away? Do you think the Pirates feel good that they let Garrett Cole get away? I mean, pitchers like this do not come around that often. So, and we we had the best of Corey Kluber. I mean, look at what Corey Kluber is doing now with the Yankees. It's not great. It's probably below average. So we definitely got the best out of Corey Kluber. To be honest, we traded Corey Kluber probably at the right time. But uh, what Shane Bieber is doing now is at possibly another level, which is mind-boggling to say. Kluber was a two-time Cy Young winner. He was the Klubot. I mean, he was... He was a machine. He'd go out there and just dominate night after night. The control would be pinpoint accuracy. And Shane Bieber has taken it to another level. He is that good at striking out batters. So we'll see. I mean, I think if you're an Indians fan and you were told, look, the team has to trade Francisco Lindor, but that would allow them to sign Shane Bieber for 10 years, I think we would all sign on the dotted line for that. Now, whether ownership would ever come through for us, ever come through like that, none of us feel confident in that. But uh, you got to be thinking about it, right? You absolutely have to be thinking about it if you're Antonetti and Chernoff. Like, we, we cannot let this guy go. We cannot let this one slip through our fingers. Because as good as Plesak and Savali and some of the McKenzie and some of the younger pitchers are in Allen, None of them have proven to be on this level. This is a this is a completely different level. All right, so that is enough praise for Shane Bieber. Is it? All right, all right it is. Let's move on. Uh, the other thing the Indians did yesterday is they hit home runs, and my God, are they hitting a lot of home runs? Jose Ramirez gets one in the first inning. Uh, Roberto Perez gets one in the fourth inning with two men on, and then Jordan Lublo gets one in the seventh. Off a right-handed pitcher, it is getting hard. It is actually getting ridiculously hard to keep Jordan Luplo out of the starting lineup when he hits like this. He's still hitting 250. Uh, he was one for three with the home run, two RBIs. He's his OPS is 1.058. Like you can't argue with that. It's the best OPS on the team. Roberto Perez, this is just insane. Roberto Perez, after this home run, he's only batting 194, but he's got an 859 OPS. He's got the second best OPS on the team. Uh, yeah, it is, it is home run or nothing for the Indians. Uh, so on Twitter, there is an account, Cleveland Indian Stats, and someone asked them about the Indians' home runs versus RBI. How many RBIs were created off those home runs? So they looked it up, and before the stats were updated from yesterday, they were at 19 home runs and 31 RBIs coming from those home runs. This is according to Cleveland Indian stats. So can't 100% confirm it, but this Twitter account is pretty accurate when it comes to this stuff. Uh, so if you add the home runs and RBIs from yesterday, that gives them 22 home runs and 37 RBIs off of those home runs. They only have 54 home runs on the entire season which means that 68.5% of the runs have been scored off of home runs so far this season. They are absolutely just doing it all with the long ball. 
And the 22 home runs actually puts them third in Major League Baseball, tied with the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, all tied for third at 22. The Reds are second at 24, and the Braves are first at 25 home runs. So yeah, uh, the power is there. The batting average isn't. We're still 27th in batting average at 209. But if you look at slugging percentage, where do we come in at slugging percentage? Ninth in all of baseball and slugging percentage. So we are making up for things with the home run. And we didn't think, I mean, you take Lindor off this team and you don't think they're going to hit more home runs. And Carlos Santana off this team, you don't think they're going to hit more home runs, but they are. Uh Luplo is finding the power again. Uh, Roberto Perez is finding the power again. And uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And now let's look into, I wanted to dig into these actual at-bats and see what led maybe to these home runs. So looking at the at-bat in the first inning against Wade Miley from Jose Ramirez, he throws him curveball in the dirt, ball one. He throws him a cutter way above his head. Was I mean, the cutter is kind of his fastball. He throws it in the mid-80s. That one was only at 83. He throws it way above his head. And, you know, maybe a show to get him the off the off-speed stuff, but it was never going to offer it that. Throws him a changeup low out of the zone again at 82. Then throws him at a 3-0 count. He has to throw a strike. Throws a cutter right in the in. I would say in but middle for Jose Ramirez, and he unloads on it 106.4 mile per hour exit velocity, 420 feet to the second deck in left field. His first home run as a right-handed hitter, and yeah, it was a situation where Wade Miley was dancing around Jose Ramirez because he didn't want to throw him a fastball, got into a 3-0 count, had to throw him a fastball, and Jose Ramirez has a green light to swing whenever he wants to. So that is how Jose Ramirez got his home run. Let's look at um, Roberto Perez's at-bat in the uh, in the fourth inning here. So he starts him out with a changeup down the middle, and he fouls it off. Uh, right down the middle of the plate, right at thigh level. Then he throws him a cutter inside for a ball, throws him another cutter way inside for a ball, Goes to throw the changeup again. It's down in the dirt. Then throws him a changeup. The fifth pitch was the changeup again on a 3-1 count, almost in the same spot as the first one, and he puts it out to center field, 103.4 mile per hour exit velocity, 423 feet. Now, what's interesting here is that the fifth changeup, the fifth pitch, was almost identical to the very first pitch he showed him in the at-bat. And I got to believe that, uh, yes, that might not have been where Wade Miley, you know, where the catcher was set up for that pitch. But I think that first fastball or that first changeup is the reason that Roberto Perez hits that fifth pitch out of the park. He had already shown him that pitch once. He let him see it. And this time he does not miss it and hits it out of the park. All right. Uh, Jordan Loop blows at bat. Kind of the same situation here. So he starts him off with two sliders, both miss for a ball. One was a slider up. It's hard to throw a slider up and out of the zone. The second slider is down and away. 
So he must figure, Romano must figure, okay, I don't have the feel for my slider. So he goes to his sinker, and he throws a hard sinker. It basically works like a fastball, 93, 94 miles per hour. The first one is high, but middle of the plate, and in the strike zone, and he swings through it. The next one, he throws a little too far inside. It's a ball. It's now a 3-1 count. The fifth one is on the outer edge. He swings through it on a 3-1 count. Now it's full. The sixth one is in the exact same spot. And this time, he hits it out to center field, 104.6 mile per hour exit velocity and 418 feet. So yeah, uh, it's a situation where he showed him four sinkers in a row, all at the same height. These are all between, you know, at the belly button height for Jordan Luplo, between the belt and the letters. All four sinkers come in at the same height, at the same speed. And to be honest, that sixth one ends up right between where the fifth and the third one were in the strike zone. So he's seen it. He's seen it. This is his third time seeing that pitch in the same spot. And he doesn't, he doesn't miss it this time. He crushes it for a home run. So yeah, so that is when you look at how a home run happens. Yes, sometimes, like when it's a first pitch swinging, you know, those are fun. That's just a hitter having a feel, reading a pitch, maybe knowing the scouting report, you know, knowing what's coming, what a guy likes to start with and uh, getting a hold of one. But these home runs all came because the pitcher kind of set themselves up to give up a home run. Uh, Tyler Naquin's home run is the perfect example of this. Bieber was just trying to establish strike one with his fastball. It was actually supposed to be down and away. He threw it down and in. I don't know why you would even call for a low fastball against Tyler Naquin. And so he hit the first pitch out. That's just the hitter doing his thing. These three home runs for the Indians are all examples of the pitcher really getting themselves into trouble and the hitter taking advantage of it, reading the room, reading the situation right, and taking advantage of a pitch that they've already seen in the at-bat. Or, in Jose Ramirez's case, a situation where a pitcher has to put one in the zone and Jose Ramirez uh, turns it into a home run pitch. All right, looking at the rest of the box score for the Indians, uh, Cesar Hernandez is down to a 161 batting average, does not have a hit. No one needs an off day more than Cesar Hernandez. In fact, I'd be fine with Yu Chang maybe getting a start at second and giving him two days off because he's, I mean, the definition of scuffling right now. We know Hernandez can play. We know he can hit. Uh, No hard hit balls yesterday. Didn't make any loud outs. Struck out twice. He looked like he was just hacking up there. Jose Ramirez, the home run is his, is his only hit for the day, although he does have three hard hits credited on the day. Fermil Reyes does have a double. Uh, Eddie Rosario does have a hit on the day. Ahmed Rosario had a hit on the day. Those singles are the ones that set up Roberto Perez's three-run home run. And then Yu Chang had two hits on the day. That's nice to see him. He got his average up to 231. Uh, he doesn't. He's not getting consistent playing time, so it's going to be a little bit tough for him. But he had, I, I thought that the radio replay had like looped itself because he had two of the exact same situation where he hit a single to left field. Jesse Winker bobbles the ball out there and he's able to advance to second. And it happened twice in the game. And I'm, I, I legitimately, I was like, wait a minute. Did, did the radio broadcast, like I'm listening on the phone app, right? So did it like jump back in time, you know, and rewind itself? What am I hearing here? No, the exact same play happens twice for Yu Chang. And Shane Bieber, unfortunately, is 0 for 3 on the day. We were actually really surprised. He, When Chang got on he it, the first time, it was to lead off an inning, and Bieber squared the bunt, 
but then eventually switched and swung away, even though he had another strike to give and grounded out the shortstop so Chang couldn't advance. It was a strange call. I don't know why Terry Francona wasn't having Bieber try to bunt in that situation. There, there's no point. I know he's a good athlete, but there's no point in having him swing away there. Uh, so, yeah, so that's your box score. MVP for the day is definitely going to Shane Bieber. When you are setting major league records for strikeouts, when you're tying Nolan Ryan, you get MVP for the day. Again, the line, eight innings pitch, six hits, three earned runs, two walks, 13 strikeouts, and the home run allowed on 104 pitches. All right, that does it. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Remember, tomorrow is an today is an off day, which means no podcast tomorrow morning. I'll be back on Wednesday, and we've got a short little series with the Chicago White Sox. We got a tight little two game series with the Chicago White Sox coming up here. So we'll see uh, if there's any bad feelings between the two teams. In fact, Carlos Rodon is supposed to pitch for the White Sox. So that's who you're going to be facing on uh, Tuesday. So that'll be interesting, right? After that no-hitter, what do the Indians do against him? And I believe Plesak will be on the mound for the Indians in that game. So that's your next game coming up. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk all about it. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. I'm not joking. Email, call. We will talk about it on the show. I want this show to be a show for the fans. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.